Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Please join me in the responsive prayer of confession printed in your bulletin. That our relationship with God, one another, and the whole creation might be reconciled and healed, let us confess our sin. Your kingdom come, O God, is what we pray. But still we place ourselves above others and above you. Still we abuse our position and bend the rules to suit us. Still we look down on others when what we need is to look up to you. Still we claim as our own the creation over which you labor and weep to see wasted. Only you know our deep places where hurt and harm linger. Only you have the authority to forgive our poor attempts at kingdom making. And so we ask for that forgiveness now in silence. Amen. Friends, Christ sees you as one of his own. You are God's beloved. You are loved and forgiven, and you are given the strength and courage to love and forgive others. Now let your love shine, and let God's love shine in you. Amen. Let us pray. O God, your word is more precious than fine gold, and sweeter than the purest honey. As we turn to your scripture, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, faith, and trust. Amen. Our reading for today comes from 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Those who do not love know nothing of God, for God is love. God's love was revealed in our midst in this way by sending the only begotten Son into the world that we might have faith through him. Love, then, consists in this. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and has sent the only begotten Son to be an offering for our sins. Beloved, if God has loved us so, we must have the same love for one another. Yet if we love one another, God dwells in us, and God's love is brought to perfection in us. The way we know that we remain in God and God in us is that we have been given the Spirit. We have seen for ourselves and can testify that God has sent the only begotten Son as Savior of the world. When any acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in them, and they in God. We have come to know and to believe 
in the love God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God and God in them. Love will come to perfection in us when we can face the day of judgment without fear because our relation to this world is just like Christ. There is no fear in love, for perfect love drives out fear. To fear is to expect punishment, and anyone who is afraid is still imperfect in love. We love because God first loved us. If you say you love God, but hate your sister or brother, you are a liar. For you cannot love God, whom you have not seen, if you hate your neighbor, whom you have seen. If we love God, we should love our sisters and brothers as well. We have this commandment from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I love Melissa Ann, but she always says about two-thirds of my sermon, so I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to skip to page six. And, uh, you know, in one way or another, I've been coming to this church since 1954. I will soon be 70 years old. And so it is good once again to be home. And I thank you for the invitation to come. As I was driving over, I thought I really should get a t-shirt that says, Bad Penny Preacher, He Just Keeps Coming Back. <laughs> there have been several times when I have filled this pulpit that I was sure it was the last time I've been wrong every time. So here we are again, and I am grateful it is so. My beloved in Christ, let us hear now the gospel of Jesus as we have it from the hand of St. Matthew, there in the 24th chapter. As Jesus came out of the Jerusalem temple and was going away, his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And then he asked them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left upon a stone. All will be thrown down. And when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, Beware that no one lead you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. And then they will hand you over to be tortured and will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me, please? With you alone, O God, are wisdom, truth, and light. You are wisdom in a world full of folly, truth in a world content to play fast and loose, and light in the darkness we sense around us. Silence all words within me, O God, save those that show forth your truth. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Let the people say. Perhaps you've had the experience of learning a new word, and then you find yourself bumping into that word everywhere you look, online, in magazines, newspapers. And so when I decided to preach on the category of relationship that the Bible calls neighbor, I found myself bumping into the word neighbor everywhere. For example, I saw a bumper sticker that said, put your neighbor out of work, buy from Amazon. Nervous laughter, right? (laughs) I got a bill from my insurance company, the one that is like a good neighbor. My son called and said, hey, Dad, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I read the obituary of a man who loved taking people to obscure ethnic restaurants who said of himself, I'm trying to get people to be less afraid of their neighbors. And then we had a bit of a dust-up in our neighborhood when someone who was irritated by barking dogs started leaving anonymous letters and a $20 bill in the offending household's mailboxes, suggesting where they might take their dog for training or exercise. (laughs) Understandably, some people found this a little unnerving. (laughs) But it led one person to write this on the neighborhood Facebook page. First... Thank you, neighbor, for the $20 which I gave to the Humane Society. Hopefully that money will go to help another dog like mine find a home. And second, I'm going to say hi to my immediate neighbors sometime this weekend, something I don't usually do because I'm both busy and introverted, but I want them to feel like they know me well enough to speak to me face-to-face when they need help. Peace to you. And so some unexpected good came out of that. Jesus' central teaching, his two-part commandment to love is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps that second part has a more curious love object than we have considered You shall love your neighbor, not just tolerate, not just accept, but love your neighbor as yourself, as an extension of your own being, as Cynthia Bourgeau has put it. St. Paul says the entirety of the Old Testament law is summed up in these few words. But why neighbor? Did you ever think about that? Notice that Jesus does not say, love your family. 
Maybe he realized that in spite of our obsession with family, there are no happy families in the Bible. There are real ones, but there are no happy ones. I think country music singer Mary Carr got it about right when she said, families are the people we love big and whom we intermittently want to drag behind our truck. (laughs) Perhaps you've heard of the woman who went home to her family for Christmas holiday and she had a terribly exasperating visit and when she got back she complained to a friend about how her family knew just exactly how to push her buttons. And her wise friend said to her, well, of course they do. They installed them. (laughs) At its best, family love comes naturally, and family is often where we learn to love. The late Fred Rogers, creator of the long-running PBS television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, once asked his hearers in a commencement speech to think about and give thanks for the person who saw you into seeing, who read you into reading, who sang you into singing, and who loved you into loving. A lot of times, but certainly not always, that person was family. But if Jesus doesn't say love your family as yourself, neither does he say love your friend as yourself. And while I agree that friendship is a very high category of relationship in the Bible, that's a sermon for another time. Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself. Neighbors differ from friends in significant ways, not least that we often choose our our friends, whereas neighbors just show up as part of the local geography. We move into a new apartment or a home or a dorm room, and we've got neighbors. We don't specifically choose them. They're just there. Some may be friendly, some may not. Some might evolve into friends, but most will not. Friends we choose for deeper intimacy. Neighbors are a given of where we live. And yet, it is neighbors whom Jesus calls us to love. So I'm thinking about the word neighbor today, and I invite you to join me. Think about your own neighborhood, your own neighbors. My wife Pat and I have lived in our neighborhood in Kalamazoo for seven years now, and we love it as it is racially and religiously diverse, warm but not overbearing. I can't imagine anyone in our neighborhood calling the police because a person of color was doing political canvassing, as has happened some places. We live on a cul-de-sac, and we've enjoyed getting to know our neighbors. And in thinking about how we relate to them, I'm struck by how our relationships just kind of evolved without much overt intent. For example, without ever having negotiated this, I always mow a portion of my yard that adjoins one neighbor's, and he always snow blows my my sidewalk. And we chat when we see each other and share concerns about the neighborhood, There was a shooting a couple of blocks away a while back. He's a very conservative person, and I am not, but I'm very glad to know him. And on the other side is a second marriage couple. We take in each other's mail and lend a hand when something heavy needs lifting. We feed each other's dogs when one of us is away. But they're very private, and they're not at all religious. 
We do all get together before Christmas every year for hors d'oeuvres. The conversation is always pleasant, laughter abounds. But I don't think any of us wants anything more in relationship. We're right in the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold, (laughs) just right. But we also have a couple of neighbors who are not like this at all. One is an elderly widow who is content with a circle of non-neighborhood friends who visit regularly. We smile and wave when we see her. And then there is one neighbor, two doors down, who is downright unfriendly to the point of hostility. She doesn't speak to any of the rest of us, never makes eye contact. She writes judgmental comments on the neighborhood Facebook page. She has even called the police on us when she thinks our car might just be illegally parked. Why? I have no idea. And Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor. Isn't that just like him? (laughs) It's just like him because as preacher Evie Hill once said, it's no trick to love the lovely, but it takes a child of God to love the unlovely. And I'm trying not very successfully so far to figure out how to love this irascible neighbor. And all this matters, especially just now, because in addition to our understandable propensity to hang out with people we like and who are like us, we live in a time when many voices are seeking to divide the world, to divide the world into us and them, friend and foe, neighbor and other, and therefore lesser. And so perhaps more so than in a very long time, we as Christians and as a Christian community are called to double down on loving our neighbor and on working to ever widen the circle of those we consider neighbors. I believe this is perhaps our most important witness just now. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the closing section of Matthew and Jesus' disciples are getting anxious because the times they are a-changing. The end of Jesus' life is drawing near. And Jesus does not calm their anxiety with a few memorable platitudes. No, he says, guys, it's going to get worse before it gets worse. (laughs) He says there will be wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution of good people, betrayals, and leaders will arise saying they alone have the answers to all these problems, even proclaiming their greatness in messianic terms. Now, you and I know that there are Christians who will take these words all too literally and somewhat egotistically and say, see, Jesus is talking about us and our troubled times. The end is near. This in spite of the fact that Jesus says in the text that these are not signs of the end, but birth pangs. What do you think is trying to be born just now? Might it be an increase in neighborliness of the love of neighbor that is surely the hallmark of the kingdom of God? I surely hope so. Because Jesus goes on to say that because of an increase in lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. 
And that may well be descriptive of our time as there is now much lawlessness, especially in high places. To make a bad pun, that's chilling. If our love is growing cold, that's a bad sign indeed. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, warm, sweet, neighborly love, the kind of love of which Ava read so beautifully a few moments ago. The kind born of God's love for us, the kind that casts out fear. That's what 1 John makes so clear to us. But there's a temptation in the other direction, isn't there? It's a temptation to hunker down and circle the wagons and draw into that little circle of folks who think just like us and to view all others with suspicion. Is that what it means to be Christian just now? I don't think so. Jesus says those who endure, that is, those who continue in love will be saved. The message is clear. Don't turn inward. Turn outward even in these perilous times. Pat and I were invited to a house concert recently, a gathering where someone opens up their home to an indie musician and invites a bunch of folks over for a potluck. And it was quite an evening, and not just because the singer-songwriter, a young woman, was so spectacular. The host couple were Jews, as were some of the guests, and there were Christians of various flavors there, some Unitarians, and as the evening went on, in came a Muslim family, whom we know from our work with our congregation, Syrian refugee family. And because so few of the guests had met each other previously, we all had to gather our courage and muster our social skills and talk to people we actually did not know, (laughs) who were often quite different from ourselves. The conversation and the food were wonderful, and I came away from the evening thinking that we had been at that place where People will come from north and south and east and west and sit at table in the kingdom of God. Maybe you've been there too. When we see folks as neighbors to love rather than fearing those others, God just might teach us something important, something wondrous through them. Folks quite different from ourselves have a great deal more to teach us than those who merely reinforce what we already believe. I graduated from seminary four decades ago, and a lot of what I learned has drifted out of my increasingly unreliable memory. But I can remember, as if it happened this morning, my theology professor saying, love in the New Testament is measured by the differences it can span. Not by depth of feeling, not by dizzying emotion, not even by endurance through time, but by the differences it can span. What if we really took Jesus' commandment to heart and started trying to love not just our family and friends, but to see everyone, everywhere as neighbor, maybe even someone just down the pew from us, to see if our love can indeed span all the differences that many want to exploit with fear. What if that's what it means to be Christian just now? 
Perhaps you recall the words of the nearly mad, surely mystical, romantic poet William Blake when he wrote, I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my neighbor, and I found all three. We saw a fine movie recently. It's a documentary on the life and work of Fred Rogers entitled Won't You Be My Neighbor? I think it's on Netflix. Put up your hands if you commit to see it or have seen it. (laughs) Mr. Rogers, a Presbyterian minister, had the astonishing gift born of his faith to see everyone as a neighbor. And the movie makes clear that who Mr. Rogers was on television was who Fred Rogers was all the time. And it was beautiful and moving, and a lot of tears flowed in the theater. Why? Not just because his goodness was so winsome, but because he called us so beautifully to this teaching of Jesus to love our neighbor, which we know in our heart of hearts, in our soul of souls, is the only way into the kingdom of God for which we so long. Here's what Fred Rogers believed, but more importantly lived. He wrote, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. That when we look for what's best in the person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we are participating in something sacred. I believe that at the center of the universe there dwells a loving spirit who longs for all that's best in all of creation, a spirit who knows the great potential of each planet as well as each person, and little by little will love us into being more than we ever dreamed of. That loving spirit would rather die than give up on any of us. Thank you, Jesus. It is clear Mr. Rogers had more than passing familiarity with Jesus' command to love our neighbor, but what matters is whether or not we have more than passing familiarity with this commandment and are as committed to obeying it as he was, whether or not we will love all people as neighbors. Think about the neighbor you don't love and pray to be made able to do so. I recently came across a wonderful story about the Maasai tribe in Africa from a Unitarian minister. And he writes, among the most accomplished and fabled tribes of Africa, no tribe was considered to have warriors more fearsome or more intelligent than the mighty Maasai. It is perhaps surprising then to learn the traditional greeting that passes between Maasai warriors is this. And how are the children? Not hello, not how are you, not what's happening, not killed any lions lately. (laughs) And how are the children. It is their traditional greeting acknowledging the high value they always place on their children's well-being. And even warriors with no children of their own would always give the traditional answer, all the children are well. Meaning, of course, that peace and safety prevail, that the priorities of protecting the young, the powerless are in place, that Maasai society has not forgotten its reason for being, its proper functions and responsibilities. All the children are well means life is good. 
that the daily struggles for existence do not preclude proper care for the young. What an idea. The well-being of children as the measure of a society's health. I think Mr. Rogers would like that. I think Jesus would have liked that. I hope we like it. Because for all the children to be well, always and everywhere, on our border with Mexico, at Alpha House, in our underfunded schools, in Syrian refugee camps, in Yemeni hospitals, in neonatal ICUs, in foster care, for all the children to be well, we will all have to do a much better job at loving our neighbors, no matter who they are, no matter where they are. And how are the children? All the children. All the children. All the children are well. And so shall they be when we all learn to love our neighbors. May it so be, let the people say. Beloved neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ, This is the joyful feast of the people of God. They will come from north and south. They will come from east and west. They will come and all will be welcome to eat at table in the kingdom of God. Come at the invitation of our Lord. Come at the invitation of love incarnate. Come to the table knowing that all are welcome here. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Let us pray. Holy One, we gather this day as one people, members of the same body, grateful for your many gifts, and carrying with us the hope for a world filled with love. This hope was given by you. From the very beginning of your creation, you made the earth and all that lives on it. You inspired prophets and widows and enslaved people to seek liberation from all that oppresses so that we might be released to love fully. You became incarnate in Jesus Christ so that through him we might experience the depth and breadth of your unquenchable love. While Jesus lived among us, he stood up for women and children, healed the sick, and welcomed those who had given up hope of being included. Through him we see a path, not only to our own freedom, but a path to the liberation of the whole world. He taught us that it will not be in the brutality of violence that our world will be saved. Rather, it will be in the showing of kindness to our neighbor, in standing up against injustice, in returning hate with love, in transforming one heart at a time. It will be in the simple but holy task of dining together, of sharing the bread and the wine, truly seeing one another as beloved by you. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, into these gifts of bread and wine. Send your Holy Spirit into us that we might recognize each other as members of the same body, Christ's hands and feet and heart sent to join God's healing of the world. And when we come to the end of time, we will find ourselves with you, seated at your table, with our siblings and neighbors of every time and place, joining to praise you forever and ever. 
God and community, holy and one. So in the meantime, sustain us in this meal to be a people who live the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, Father who, who art, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.